Hi and welcome back to Eating Words. I'm Sarah Dempster, a registered nutritionist on a mission to support children to grow up with positive relationships to food and their bodies. This week I'm chatting with Caroline O'Connor, a paediatric dietitian based in Ireland who runs her own business, Solid Start. We talk about some of the issues she supports families with in her clinic, what prompted her to take an additional qualification in lactation, our shared concerns about the influence of the food industry in children's nutrition, and why Caroline thinks it's great that there are more dietitians talking about child feeding on social media. I hope that both parents and professionals can find something interesting or helpful in the conversation. Okay, let's go. Hi, Caroline, and welcome to Eating Words. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's lovely to get a chance to speak with you. I think we followed each other on Instagram for a wee while, but this is the first time we've actually been able to have a chat. So it's great. Yeah, because you're over in a bit a bit out of the way place over in Ireland and I'm in a bit over, out of the way place over in Scotland. So we were just saying before we recorded how nice it is to actually be able to connect with people in different places absolutely although I'm sure the people of Cork would not appreciate me saying it was out of the way because it's actually (laughs) the biggest city in Ireland and people in Cork think it's actually the true republic or the true (laughs) I am so sorry to the people of Cork I think what we were meaning is more that we're we're not in the uh in the center in in the the nutrition world (laughs) exactly yeah I don't insult anyone in case there is somebody from Cork actually yes there are many reasons to think that Scotland and Cork are the centres of the universe but when absolutely it comes, when it comes to sort of paediatric nutrition they're probably yeah exactly <laughs> so moving on um I have I always ask people um a slightly random question about food about their own kind of <laughs> Um, food or eating before I get started with the, right. the nutrition question so I've got I've got a quite weird one for you oh goodness um, aren't <laughs> and I know I know from following your Instagram stories that you are quite a fan of cheese so my question for you is you're moving to a new planet and you can only take one meal from earth with you you're going to be eating that and only that for the rest of your life what meal would you bring with you and why like a whole meal it can be as elaborate as you like (laughs) well definitely yes cheese um I also love pasta so um probably something like real comfort food like macaroni cheese um Mm. that's definitely our favorite meal in this house we all love it um so yeah maybe macaroni cheese but I'd probably have to include like some vegetables in it <laughs> um obviously the dietitian in me uh yeah maybe some with the peas um and definitely I'm kind of a person who likes to finish off most meals with something sweet so yeah maybe a little bit of like chocolate cake but with some berries <laughs> um yeah I think that would kind of I'm not sure I'd like to eat it for the rest of my life, but it would definitely <laughs> be here with it would include most of the things that I, I, I like. Um so yeah, macaroni cheese, peas, and chocolate cake and strawberries. Oh, that sounds good. Getting uh, all of the food good. Bottle of wine. Pretty much. <laughs> and wine as well to wash it all down with. Yeah. <laughs> oh, lovely. Um so yeah, um I kind of I love the work that you do. Um you've got your Instagram account solid start and that's where I know you from and you share loads of brilliant content really helpful information um around around feeding children um but I think the thing that prompted me to get you to come and chat on the podcast was um when I'd posted about the conversation I'd had with Laura Thomas you'd kind of Mm -hmm. mentioned in a comment um that you were kind of increasingly seeing parents in your clinic who are kind of putting nutrition on a pedestal Um, yeah and this was around this whole conversation I'd had with Laura around the pressure that parents can feel to raise perfect eaters. So I just wondered if you'd be willing to chat a little bit more about some of the issues that come up around this for you and where you think it might be coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I loved that conversation that you had with Laura Thomas. Um, so much of it, you know, just kind of made sense to me. And I suppose things that I have thought about, especially over the last few years since I um you know, moved from my public job in, in the healthcare system here in Ireland to, to private work. And I guess, like, I've been a dietitian for 20 years, really old. And, <laughs> I, you know, when I first started out in dietetics, 
I spent most of my time trying to convince people how important nutrition was. Um, and I've noticed that like increasingly over the last few years that I'm actually spend more of my time trying to tell people that it's not as important as they think it is, which is, you know, a kind of a, a funny flip, I think. Um, and I think some of that probably has to do with um, maybe the, the types of uh, the change and the types of clients that I'm, I'm working with. You know, when I worked as a community dietitian, I was obviously within the, the health service executive here, which is the equivalent of your NHS. Um, so people were actually, you know, being sent to see me, whereas now I'm seeing patients or clients privately, they're seeking me out. So, I mean, they're definitely a different demographic. Um, so I think that's obviously one change. But I guess by the time people become parents now, they've actually had like so many years of absorbing all of this information around food. Um, so, I mean, it's rare to come across a parent, I think, especially it's mostly 99% of my followers and clients are, are women um, who haven't been touched by diet culture or, you know, who, yeah, who've never dieted or who've never, maybe even not even for weight loss, but who've never tried like some kind of elimination diet or have never been exposed to any messages around food, you know, mm -hmm. people obviously have like a couple of decades of exposing all those messages before they become parents. So mm -hmm. people have accumulated all of these preconceived ideas about what healthy foods are and what healthy foods aren't and, you know, how you should eat. And when they become parents, then that, you know, is exploded out into infant feeding, you know, mm -hmm. the, you know, from Instagram, there's just an infinite number of accounts that you can follow, which tell you how to feed your baby properly. Um, and I guess a lot of those accounts are, you know, there may be food bloggers or like self-styled weaning experts. And a lot of it's very much from a try this kind of muffin because it contains kale and kale contains iron or kale contains calcium. And that's really good for your baby's brain development. And, you yeah, know, it's very yeah. much like breaking down food, that kind of whole nutritionism idea, like breaking down food into like individual nutrients mm -hmm. um, rather than looking at food as a whole. Um, and I actually found that quite fascinating because as a dietitian, even having my own children, I never really would have thought of food, about food like that when I was feeding it to my own children, you know. Um, so, you know, I found that kind of quite a fascinating concept. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the book. Um, it's not about the broccoli. Oh, I haven't come across that one. No, no. All oh, right. It's a it's a just a off the shelf book for parents. Um, the lady who wrote it, Dina Rose, she's actually a sociologist. Uh -huh. um, and it's really interesting kind of looking at this. And I guess that's the bottom line. It's, it's not about the broccoli. <laughs> it is not about the broccoli. But yet, I mean, my child doesn't eat broccoli is probably the, the thing that most parents say to me most mm -hmm. often. You know? and I guess the, the parents that come to me are parents who, who really care about nutrition. Mm -hmm. you know, they're the parents who you know, put so much effort into weaning, you know, maybe their baby was eating everything. They really wanted to give their baby like this, you know, amazing diet and make sure they get their omega-3s. And again, that's another one that always comes up um, when parents uh, talk to me, you know, they're worried their child's not getting the omega-3s because we hear so much about that for brain development. And, yeah. you know, everyone wants to make their child, I guess, the, the smartest and the, you know, give them that kind of the best start and the edge. So, yeah. you know, then when they hit the toddler years and suddenly they start to reject those foods, but people are yet completely unprepared for that stage because nobody yeah. ever tells them that this is a normal part of children's development. You know, they start to really worry. Um, and then that worry kind of translates into pressure at mm -hmm. mealtime. Obviously, you know, then that kind of, you know, creates really negative associations around meals so the children eat less and then the pressure is more and you know people just get into this real kind of like worry cycle and that's when they start like trying to sneak broccoli into pancakes and smoothies and muffins and you know you go online and you google that and you just come up with 100 recipes why you know of how you can sneak things into your children's diet so it all kind of becomes about getting the food in like I don't know, is that an Irish thing or? No, I think that, 
I've heard that as well. That's I think that's a universal thing that you want to get the food into them. And especially with with products coming out that are really fueling that as well. So you've got you've got your Instagram accounts, you've got your sometimes your books and um, but then also things like so the thing that's jumping into my head is that idea of the growing up milk or the yes. the big milk, things like that. It's like your child needs all of these nutrients and it's breaking it down to like nutritionally, these are all the things your child needs and this is how to get it into them. Exactly. And I think parents like are genuinely so worried about brain development. And, you know, the iron is just another huge one. Yeah, the omega threes and the iron, you know, and there's so much marketing again, as you said, around the growing up milks and how important iron is for brain development. And it's such a vulnerable time. You know, the, it's just so much pressure yeah. to get nutrients in. And I think we really look at kids like it's like an input output. <laughs> So when I was a dietitian in the hospital, we used to do those input output charts, you know, for, for food intake. And I think people kind of like understandably approach feeding a little bit like that, like because we know so much more about nutrition, which on one hand is fantastic. Um, we've probably we know so much about what to feed that maybe we've we've lost sight of how to feed. And that's something I really focus on with parents, you know, that it's looking at okay well what you know what's normal behavior for children like is it normal for children to naturally love broccoli i mean i think if we're honest like it's not the first food that any of us would bring to the moon <laughs> i would thought it's one of my favorites <laughs> okay. i like it too but <laughs> like you know, such a big fan of broccoli um but yeah i i, I completely understand why my children aren't <laughs> yeah you know it takes time to learn to love it and you know so and parents are always, I think, they're really afraid because their their children love carbohydrates. Beige foods. Uh -huh. They love carbohydrates. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. we all love carbohydrates, if we're mm -hmm. honest. You know, they're lovely and they give us energy and, you know, so, and they're they're easy to, to like and to eat. Um, so I think it's, that's what I spent a lot of time talking to parents about, actually, like, what is normal? So what do you actually not need to worry about? You know, and and also that actually children don't need as much food as you think they do you know so I used to start a lot of my discussions with the parents around you know the kind of proven feeding strategies and what I found was that they actually weren't listening because they were still worried about what their child wasn't eating mm. so now I often started the other way and I'll kind of talk about what's normal and you know actually did you know that your child actually only needs two strawberries to get all the vitamin C that they need or you know whatever they're eating I just I kind of like to reassure them first because I think unless you can kind of get that out of the way people actually can't take in the other messages that's really interesting yeah yeah so you're actually you're you're trying to break down the nutrition like key messages to say like this is all that really matters or you know bringing it right back down to basics yeah or just to like reassure them that yes you know, although we say fruits and vegetables are, it's great to expose your children to lots of fruits and vegetables and a variety, that doesn't mean that they have to eat like five big portions of fruits and vegetables every day. You know, like they will meet their basic requirements. I think we've lost sight of that. Like what is kind of like a, a basic need and basic need is that your child gets enough food you know to grow and develop um, and that they get a generally balanced diet over a week or two you know to give them most of what they need you know and and that is far less often than people actually think it is you know yeah. and that your child can easily have a very healthy life without ever learning to love fish pie or you know mm -hmm. that I think just helping people take that worry away and when that worry is gone, people can actually focus a lot more easily then on maybe looking at the how to feed and more around setting up kind of positive feeding relationships. To just get their brain into thinking about the feeding relationship. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah because they're just caught up in that worry trap instead. Yeah. <laughs> instead. Um, so the other thing I always get people to do is, is to talk about what they ate when they were a child. You know, mm -hmm. um, think back to what you ate, you know, like I think we definitely as kind of this generation of parents probably have maybe unrealistic expectations yeah, of what children need to eat and, and what they yeah, realistically will eat in a day or a week or, you know, mm -hmm. um, so yeah. most of us have probably, I did something on my Instagram a few weeks ago about like, what do you eat now that you never had as a child? Um, yeah. Do you know yeah. That? The first question that I asked with um, when I did the first episode of the podcast, so I've got a few kind of food questions that I asked people on. And that was my first question is like, you know, what have you learned to like 
um, as an adult that you never ate as a child, what, you know, and what, what do you think changed? So it's a really useful one, I think, to ask parents. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, there, and obviously I, I run weaning classes and I talk a lot about the importance of weaning and exposing your child to a wide variety of foods in the early years. But I think we've almost kind of, you know, taken that like to the max where we feel that if our child doesn't eat it in childhood, if they haven't seen it and they don't eat it, they're never going to, <laughs> they're never going to eat it. Whereas it was really interesting when I asked people that question, and I got tons of responses back. Like most things were like sweet potato, avocado, because I don't know about in Scotland, but like 80s Ireland, I don't think anyone <laughs> had come across a sweet potato or an avocado. Uh, so we pushed, we, we expect children to actually have like a really advanced palate um, and, and want to eat like hundreds of different things. And maybe as children, we didn't eat any of those things either. And yeah. now, so, you know, there's plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what so my my daughter's four and she's still going through quite a um you know she's not she wouldn't be a, a classified as a picky eater particularly but she's just oh. still not she's not got a vast array of things that she eats um and she's just like a typical four-year-old she just prefers um you know the beige foods and yeah. and, and simpler cleaner things um but she's she's picked up the phrase I'm learning to like it like and she's quite happy to sort of mm. maybe have a tiny taste of something but you know I, I I don't pressure her to do that I just like it's there you know modeling I like it you might learn yeah. to like it um it's okay to just you know to say no just now exactly yeah. and I think it's all just about creating the the right kind of environment where children will you know you'll spark their curiosity over time and and like you said they'll on their own of their own accord maybe one day want to try a bit or you know maybe that will happen in a month or maybe it'll happen in two years or you know I work a lot with parents who, whose children are what they would classify as fussy and I guess that's yeah, the first yeah. question they always ask like how how long will I have to offer a food um how many times should I offer it before I give up um and I'm like never give up you know but don't force it obviously like have it as often as you want to eat it so but don't cook that for your child cook it because you want to eat it then because it's part of your family like food you know repertoire or whatever but and and offer it every time never give up but mm -hmm. you know, like no one has a way of we've like there's no magic formula to predict how many exposures it will take before your child suddenly wants to eat that food it's going to be different for all of your children or you know yeah. So, but I, I think it's often very kind of presented as, okay, offer this in weaning and, um, and then your child will learn to love it and they'll just love it forever. Yeah. That's what I love about your content because you are really honest about these things that you are sort of saying, because, um, you know, we, we get told these possible strategies that people can take or these tools that people can use to try and um, program their children into to liking a variety of food or to eating certain things. Um, so this whole idea of 15 to 20 exposures, I've spoken about that yeah. before, but you know, like if you give up after 20 exposures to a food, that's too soon. <laughs> you know, it's exactly. And I think that's hard when you're, I mean, I have the kind of wisdom of, of hindsight, I think a little bit because my eldest is 13. So I've seen, you know, how, and he was quite selective as a baby yeah. and no, he's still quite choosy, let's just say. Um, so, but I've seen the transition over the years um, and I've seen, like I've adapted my feeding style, you know, um, mm. over the years with, you know, after reading various research and, you know, looking into different ways of feeding and I've seen what impact that has, but I've seen that nothing has an immediate impact, you know, yeah. and that a lot yeah. of it is actually just down to the child. And yeah, I think when you, you it's hard for parents whose children are small to take that kind of long view because mm -hmm. to me those 13 years have like flown by really quickly <laughs> um, and I can't believe I have a child in secondary school but like if you have a child who's one saying to somebody well when your child is 13 they might eat broccoli <laughs> you know that just seems too far away for a lot of people so yeah. mm -hmm. it's difficult because you don't want to kind of put people off but at the same time you want to help people to be realistic I think about yeah. about what is normal and you know how long it takes and yeah that there is no magic formula and that you can do all of the so-called right things um and that every child is different yeah know? and so, it's and it's totally not your fault if you haven't managed to unlock that secret code <laughs> of absolutely. how to but like a mom said to me last week um 
you know, that I said, what is your kind of biggest concern? And, and she said, well, it's kind of about status, isn't it? Like you're, you know, you're classified as a good parent if people see your child eats everything. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so I think that's difficult. And I definitely felt that as a mom who was also a dietitian, <laughs> when my child, you know, would go to somebody's house and he'd be like, oh, I don't want to eat that. I just want to have like a slice of bread, you know, um, there was a sense that you kind of maybe had failed a little bit, you know, um, I think that's really hard for parents, you know, mm-hmm. um, it is a sign people think people comment when people's children eat well, <laughs> you know, they say, wow, he eats everything, you know, that, like, you know, good on you, your child eats everything. Um, and I suppose it is that kind of, yeah, confirmation that you've done a good job. Yeah, yeah. I spoke about that a wee bit in the last episode as well with Michelle Webster about this whole idea of being a, a good parent and how, you know, um, how much or how little influence parents actually do have on on the way that their children kind of turn out. Um, exactly. Yeah, there's no magic formula for getting a child to to want to try things or, you know, all you can do is, you know, look at what what is helpful and try and put those things into place in your home and then and then just sit back and um give it time yeah um yeah and relax and just try try not to stress out about it because it's it's so hard when you're in it though isn't it um yeah you reminded me when you said about the kind of worry cycle there if you come across i'm sure it's in um is it katia rowell's book um around extreme pick eating she's got like a picture of the worry cycle yeah it's kind of a hurricane or kind of a tornado or tornado yeah so i'll maybe link to that if i can find it in the the notes for the episode as well just to because it is it's trying to like recognize that nutrition is it, it all comes down to i think recognizing that nutrition is really important but if that kind of compromises your um relationship with around feeding um that can actually be counterproductive and then it's like not then putting pressure on yourself to have a really good feeding relationship as well you know it's just trying to find a way of having a relaxed approach exactly and like even you know when you talk obviously nutrition is important like how to feed is important but mm-hmm. you know the whole idea of the perfect parent and that you do everything perfectly and mm-hmm. you know I talk a lot to parents about you know the language that you use around meal times and and like I still say the wrong thing as well or not the wrong thing but maybe the things that's not most helpful like you know nobody is perfect all of the time you know I'm far from perfect as well you know I often talk about you know making sure there's one food on the table that your child will like and you know then sometimes I forget to put that out and you know I mean yeah like other feeding is just one thing that you have to do as a parent um it can't take up all of your kind of thought processes either there's lots of other aspects to parenting so you're going to make mistakes and I think that's fine you know it's just it's just looking at your overall approach you know yeah yeah and getting a bit of support where, where you need it absolutely so, yeah so you know I've, i also did the episode with erin around um infant feeding support um and that's so thinking particularly about milk feeding um and some of the feedback that i got around that was like from people who had really difficult difficult experiences with breastfeeding and kind of some people wanted me to go further with that to sort of say that breastfeeding shouldn't be a public health issue and I still very much maintain that on the balance of evidence there are really clear benefits to supporting breastfeeding and I think I guess we can do that without putting pressure on people at an individual level so it's trying to think again with those nutrition messages a lot of them are really important um, but how do we get that information across in a way that doesn't then make people feel like they're doing the wrong thing or that there's yeah, it's a really interesting episode. I really enjoyed that episode with Erin. And, you know, she really raised some, you know, very valid points. And it's something that comes up hugely in, in my work, you know, especially when I more one-to-one. Um, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. It's, it's really tricky, isn't it? You know, like, it's just such an emotive issue. I think it's actually the hardest um, issue to talk about and, and to deal with it. And I'm always really conscious of that on my social media as well, you know, yeah. not alienating people that follow me because they're formula feeding, but at the same time, like it's just such a fine line and you're trying to kind of tread this balance between, yeah, educating about, you know, because the science is good for the for breastfeeding, you know, there's no there's no doubt about that. Um on a public health level, you know, it's it's something that we want to promote. And but I, I guess on an individual level then it's just supporting parents 
to do what is right for them. Um, I think I differentiate, I suppose, from promoting breastfeeding, which I know can be um, unhelpful from people who are not having positive experiences with it, to then like thinking about how we support and protect breastfeeding, which I think those are the three sort of yeah, things exactly. that UNICEF suggests is put, promote, protect and support. Um, yeah. So for me, it's like very much about that protecting and supporting. And I guess you need to do the promoting at a, at a, to a different group population, yeah. to the public, not to the women who are even pregnant. And then, yeah, supporting people who want to breastfeed. Because, I mean, that's what comes through again and again, obviously, in the research that people, and we know it from the figures, that people want to breastfeed. Um, they start out breastfeeding, but the drop-off is so huge. So we don't have a problem with promoting. Now, your numbers, I think, are, are better than ours um, in terms of initiation rates. Mm -hmm. um, so here in Ireland, our initiation rates are lower, I think. Um, but I know in the UK, your numbers are quite good for initiation, but it's it's the drop-off so we're not supporting mothers to do what they wanted to do in the first place yeah. and what we actually told them was was a good thing to do. yeah I think there's so much that we could spend hours and hours on picking around all of that around you know um the metrics that are used like it's more and I, I know that's really hard to measure but I think you can have a really positive nurturing feeding relationship regardless of feeding method you know yeah. it's like how do we how do we um and then there's the like Erin's kind of touched on when she was talking that there's there are, there's there's reasons why people are you know they're setting themselves a, a goal to breastfeed and and it's not mm -hmm. working out it's not a failure it's just that sometimes circumstances or um even possibly physiology there's there's reasons why it just it doesn't work out and I think we need to be more mindful of that when we're when we're suggesting what people ought to do or even because I, I think words like normalizing breastfeeding at a cultural level but I know that that yeah. can be a really difficult word like normalized um I, because it makes people feel that you know, they're, they're not normal yeah. if they're not breastfeeding I, so yeah. um it's a tricky oh, and then there's the whole school of thought around you know the should you talk about the benefits of breastfeeding or should you talk about the risks of formula feeding? But I mean, yeah. that's hugely emotive, I think, you know, that's hugely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we know that in, you know, you can have a, a, you can raise a, you know, a healthy baby with a positive relationship to food and have a really positive experience um, with many different feeding methods. And it can also be really difficult regardless of feeding method. So it's more about that 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 person and that mum and baby at the centre of things. Um, Absolutely. So, but you are trained as a, a an, is it an international board certified lactation consultant? Yeah. Right. It's a bit of a mouthful. It's a long word. Yeah. An, an IBCO. An IBCO. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, lactation consultant, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what was it that, but yeah, I'm quite interested as to what motivated you to, to get that qualification in addition to your dietetic qualification? Um, so I think it was something that I had had in the back of my mind since 2007. So I only qualified as a IBCLT last year um, mm -hmm. in December, um, but I'd had it in the back of my mind since 2007. And uh, unsurprisingly enough, that was when I gave birth to my first child. Mm -hmm. um, so unlike many uh, parents, I wanted to breastfeed um, and I had done a breastfeeding class. And obviously I was a dietitian, mm -hmm. uh, worked in the health promotion department, so had done lots on breastfeeding promotion um but probably knew very little like about the actual practicalities or the mechanics of actually doing it um and I really struggled for just the first week um after I had uh, Declan my first uh, boy because he was three weeks early and um he was jaundice and he just slept all the time so they hadn't I, don't, I can't even remember had that been covered in the breastfeeding class I don't know it was three hours um so I knew what to do I knew how to do the latch but he I couldn't get him to actually like wake up and and do it um so I really really struggled and I mean I hope things are better now in the maternity sector I presume I think they are um but at the time the support was not great um I had him on a Thursday and um I remember asking to see the lactation consultant because I knew her through work. Um, so that was just fortunate for me, obviously. Um, other people probably didn't even know of her existence. Um, so I asked to see her and I remember the midwife said, that's only for people who have problems. And I but I have a problem. Like I can't get them to latch on, you know? So I didn't have like traditional problems like sore nipples or, you know, anything like that because I literally could not get the baby to 
wake up and feed. Mm-hmm. Um, so she helped me a little, but then what often happens, I guess, in maternity hospitals, like the weekend comes yeah. and there are no lactation consultants there at the weekend. So mm-hmm. I remember kind of like just such a stressful weekend of trying to get him to feed. And I ended up having to stay a couple of extra days. So thankfully she helped me. And by the time I left the hospital, he was feeding from one breast, um, but he was gaining weight and it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew then that if she hadn't helped me, that no matter how much I wanted to breastfeed, I probably, cause he'd had top ups in the hospital and that's another story, but I just couldn't do it. You know, like it didn't matter how much I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, at the time, like there was a pre-smartphone, but I remember getting a, a colleague to bring in the Lalesh League, like breastfeeding answer book, which was this enormous, like thousand page ring binder. And I was <laughs> flicking through the pages at like two o'clock in the morning, but I couldn't have figured it out on my own. And I, I remember just yeah. thinking, wow, that is an amazing like job. You know, she really, she helped, she helped me. She, she set up my breastfeeding I hate using the word journey because people use it for everything, but um, she set me up to breastfeed my baby, which is what I really, really wanted to do. Like that was how I I wanted to feed him. And I just, I couldn't have done it without her practical help. Like all the theory Mm -hmm. in the world about the pros and cons, you know, wasn't doing me any good. Um, So I was thinking, oh, you know, I'd actually love to be able to have that knowledge to help people. Anyway, sorry, that's a long-winded story. Um, but uh, <laughs> basically, I kind of—I love—I love the stories, though. I love getting people's stories, so I would try not to interrupt too much. I, I kind of parked it then because obviously I was working as a dietitian and having babies and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when I started Solid Start, I began that's nearly four years ago. I began to kind of see more parents who were breastfeeding or who had been feeding who weren't feeding now by the time they came to see me. And and often parents are referred to me by other health professionals because they maybe think their baby has a milk allergy. Um, They're breastfeeding. So they're referred to me to see, you know, can I help them follow a milk-free diet? Now, often they've already started it by the time that I see them. So I'm there obviously to make sure that they don't, you know, um, compromise their own health by, by not getting the nutrition they need. But I suppose we know that in fact, babies reacting to cow's milk in the breast milk is actually a really small percentage of babies like 0.5 percent so mm-hmm. i kind of started to think well there's probably other ways that i can help these breastfeeding moms and really i just felt like i didn't have the kind of the expertise like the really hands-on experience so i just i really wanted to upscale in the area um yeah, yeah. so i kind of generally I, li- I like learning and i i mean taking the IBCLC was probably overkill for what I, for what I actually needed to do. Um, but yeah, I just, I really wanted to, to upscale and, and to really be able to help parents. Like you hear it all the time, like provide breastfeeding solutions for breastfeeding problems, you know, and mm-hmm. more than kind of like in a tokenistic way, like really help people to work out maybe was it oversupply you know was that contributing to the reflux and was that actually the problem and would maybe you know a change in positioning actually help more than trying to follow this restrictive milk-free diet that actually just adds to parents mom's challenges rather than actually you know being the answer that they're searching for but it's always the answer I think that's first given to parents whether that's online or sometimes from other health professionals who just try and go dairy free as if it's really simple Um, and it obviously doesn't it often doesn't fix the problem um, and it just adds a whole lot of of other stress so I mean that's why I really did it I I actually don't work generally with you know I suppose people generally think like traditionally lactation consultants you know, in hospital or coming to your home, maybe, you know, a day or two after you've um, given birth to help with positioning. I don't do a lot of that lactation work. Um, I, mm-hmm. I more support the parents that I've always worked with. Um, so whether that's, yeah, for a milk-free, like allergies, but tweaking the breastfeeding if that needs to be helped or parents who obviously starting solids, helping them to work that in around breastfeeding or if they're going back to work you know how will breastfeeding fit in there and and helping them to continue breastfeeding if that's what they want to do um for as long as they they do it so yeah i think i'm not kind of like the traditional person that people think when they they see that title ibclc it it just it's a a complementary to to my dietetic qualification and i guess even um being able to help them talk through the experiences that they've had because those early feeding difficulties um, 
from the mum's side of things can really sit with you and can really affect you for, for quite a long time and can have an influence I think on the later feeding relationship so being able to have somebody that really understands and is able to help them unpick maybe what happened yeah. I would have skimmed over it before <laughs> like mm-hmm. if somebody had said like oh I was breastfeeding and then it didn't work out and I I went on to formula I'd probably go all oh, right okay like great mm-hmm. like that's fine um whereas now I probably have that conversation about maybe why it didn't work out because that might help somebody the next time you know and like we don't necessarily delve into all the reasons why it could have worked out but I think just even yeah allowing people to kind of talk about that experience and um and I think in the UK there has been more investment in breastfeeding support um in Scotland particularly over the last um uh, over a number of years um but yeah um I, I know there are still people who have very difficult experiences with the support that they're they're given and you know not everybody like you, you say even now not even everybody has access to support from somebody that does have that detailed level of understanding exactly and i think um, sometimes it's kind of very segmented it's like you go to this person for breastfeeding support and you go to this person for something else whereas in fact we just need well like obviously dedicated breastfeeding and support is important too but we also need everybody who is involved with parents to have a knowledge of breastfeeding you know so that yeah. if you go to somebody for something else that they can also be supportive about breastfeeding you know that you don't have these kind of yeah separate groups of people like they help me with breastfeeding but I go to my doctor and you know I get something that contradicts that advice and like that's just really conflicting for people to hear those different messages you know um and I think that's obviously what people struggle with as well that kind of yeah those conflicting messages around feeding um and I would see negative things online as well about dietitians and you know about breastfeeding that not everyone feels that every dietitian is really supportive about breastfeeding you know so yeah I guess I I wanted to feel that I could be completely supportive I think that's really valuable to understand how how you as a dietitian have come to um taking that qualification and kind of how you work around supporting breastfeeding that's really it's really interesting but yeah I guess it's this whole thing around what when people are in the thick of it in the those early days of having difficulties establishing breastfeeding um where they turn to for support is is, it can be a real real challenge if they don't have access to to somebody that can really really understand yeah yeah and there's different levels of support obviously and and people need different levels of support you know so not everybody Mm -hmm. needs a lactation consultant you know sometimes people need somebody who just is there to listen and understand and obviously you know that's where peer supporters are invaluable as well they've been there themselves you know they're there to listen and support and offer obviously general helpful advice around and support breastfeeding um so yeah not everybody needs you know intensive specialized lactation support either um but i mean yeah if you're genuinely having a real difficulty either getting your baby to latch on or you know you're in a lot of pain you know, or your baby's not gaining weight or you're worried that you're not baby's getting not getting enough milk. I mean, in that case, you know, seeking more uh, specialized support is is obviously helpful as well. But you I mean you can have all levels of support going on at the same time too. Uh, where where would you say like what would be your recommendations for people to go for quite impartial um unbiased information on milk feeding in general milk feeding i mean obviously when, when it, i mean you're like in the in the uk obviously like a good starting point is the nhs website like here in ireland mm-hmm. there is actually a very good uh hsc website um and you actually have access to an online lactation consultant with ours i'm not sure with yours um uh, but you can actually email in your query and it's free and they'll get back to you um so that's a, definitely a good place to start um like i'm a big fan of amy brown's book the positive breastfeeding book and i think even if you're not planning on breastfeeding it's actually just a really good book in terms of knowing mm-hmm. what normal infant feeding behaviors are um mm-hmm. so and then in terms of kind of formula feeding and breastfeeding you couldn't go past the first steps nutrition dot org group um, and I would refer a huge number of of people to that because that is impartial advice particularly um, yeah. and and particularly around formula feeding obviously it's very difficult to get impartial advice um, so that's yeah, a great yes. place not just for parents also for health professionals for impartial yeah. advice on, breast, on, on formula on all types of, of feeding I love the kind of way that they break down um, 
the information about specific types of milk because you can yeah. be completely overwhelmed going into like I remember because I, I I combination fed my son and going into the the formula aisle at even in the supermarket actually but in boots um you know the chemist yeah. they there's just an absolute sea of different <laughs> um of different options for you so I think first steps although some of the information there is more geared towards professionals I would say um but it yeah. is it's a really good story. yeah I think so, yeah it's not always obvious maybe which which bits are and which bits aren't um I mean it's certainly really really useful for professionals and I would share a lot of that uh with parents as well um yeah, yeah because it is so overwhelming and you know there's obviously so much huge amount of money spent on advertising of the various different formulas I mean by the time that I see most parents who come to see me they've either maybe been breastfeeding that might have done that for a couple of weeks and then moved on to formula and by the time I see most of those parents they've cycled through four or five different formulas um, and you know they would have got advice on those formulas from everyone from their GP their public health nurse the lady who runs the baby massage the person online their mother their next door neighbor I mean literally everybody is willing to kind of throw a name at you um or for a type of mm -hmm. milk that helped them and you know they suited my baby and so um yeah it can be really really tricky and often people don't actually know that there's very little difference between those milks you know yeah yeah although I think I think people when it when they're experiencing issues like um the baby's got persistent reflux mm -hmm. That comes up a lot as like really wanting to find the product or brand that um is gonna is gonna help with that so yeah, yeah. and again, i suppose that we don't actually spend a huge amount of time kind of antenatally talking about what like you might do an antenatal class which talks about labor a little bit about caring for your baby after birth and then you might do like a breastfeeding class but if you're mm -hmm. not planning on breastfeeding if you're not planning on breastfeeding you maybe don't do that breastfeeding class but in actual fact then you get very little information on what's a normal newborn behavior when it comes to feeding um yeah, so yeah. a lot of those problems are you know <clears throat> i'm not saying they're not difficult they are and i've you know had some of those myself as a parent too and i see people struggling with it all the time but i guess we're all looking for that like that way to fix it and Sometimes there is no way and it is just time and it's just having like getting this emotional support that you need like like getting the practical support that you need during that kind of tricky time in those early days um and knowing that there is no product or there is no like one formula that's going to stop your baby from crying in the evening because they've got colic like it's just so difficult because there is the whole industry built around you know helping parents solve those problems um but there isn't a lot of information provided to parents antenatally about what to expect um yeah. so and all and all of your information then is coming from online um formula powers um clubs you know um like the various different mum clubs or you know mum and baby online. Uh, and i parents don't realize i suppose how they're being manipulated by the companies with the types even though it seems like very very helpful advice um that maybe that's not always evidence-based, you know, and it's not always helpful. So I think that's yeah. a huge problem. You know, there's just such an industry around reflux. I mean, there's endless dedicated Facebook pages, surviving reflux, um, mm. you know, managing cow's milk allergy. And they're so problematic because the information that's given out to parents is often so um, inaccurate you know and it actually just drives people the people just go round and round in circles um you know adding things in taking things out swapping things around um and when they finally figured it out when they're maybe six months old um chances are their baby has just sometimes outgrown the original problem so like it wasn't the formula that fixed it that they eventually came to after eight different switches it was the fact that their baby was now four months older than they were when they started the whole thing so yeah i think that's very very difficult you know um so I'd love to see more parents get more help with actually knowing what's normal. Um, because if you know what's normal, you know what not to worry about. Um, and you, there's a huge value in just knowing that something is normal, getting support, um, like practical support, uh, but not necessarily trying to solve the problem. Um, and then I think once you know it's normal, you can probably deal with it a little bit better um rather than trying to find to google your way to the answer 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, it's so tricky. And it's just about more, it, so it becomes more about how do we support parents? How do we make people feel, you know, supported and just generally like someone's got their back and that someone's holding their hand through it, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rather than trying to kind of obviously sell them something or, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, or try to, yeah, sell them the idea that this, there is a magical answer to this. Um, yeah. And just being honest with the parents and, and trying to give them the information that they need. And then, as you said, hold their hand, support them, like, you know, comfort them with the fact that, you know, this will end at some point or, you know, and give them practical suggestions. Obviously, there are things that parents can do if their babies are suffering from reflux. They're very, you know, they're conservative management um, lifestyle kind of techniques that you can use. And in fairness, most parents are probably doing most of those already by the time they come to see somebody like me. But um, yeah, just going through those and just, I think often parents feel better from reassurance. Um, and then yeah. some parents, some babies genuinely do need specialist milk sometimes, or they maybe need their mom to manipulate their diet, or maybe they do need medication, but it's a smaller percentage of people than probably are doing those things. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And I think... So there's this whole thing with the, like you mentioned um, about the, the baby clubs and the helplines and all of that. And I do think that that's, that's a bit of an issue. Like I've, I've definitely noticed, cause I'm obviously on a lot of infant feeding and, and, and child feeding related mm -hmm. social media. And so I'm constantly getting um, the pot, the ads in my sponsored posts oh, for yeah. like the new, the new helplines is like, um, and they're not even, properly branded like this it's not clear that it is a formula manufacturer that is yeah. set up there and you know what? Like, you talk about parents not being aware but I absolutely hold my hand up like as a dietitian when I worked um, in my community job I think yeah. in our naivety we were like oh it's not branded like so that's grand you know we'll, we'll give it out to parents and it's fine and it looks so nice and dietitians were actually involved in the, and I hadn't really thought about it like mm -hmm. I'll be honest mm -hmm. so I think if I'm a dietitian and I'm not thinking about that, how, and I don't really understand how that's not helpful, then how are mm -hmm. the general public supposed to really pick out what is actually impartial and unbiased advice and yeah. what is being, you know, kind of subliminal messages are being manipulated by large companies like that. Yeah. And it's so rife. I mean, like, I don't know if you get any of the little, um, supposedly cpd type magazines um yeah. that are well i don't anymore now because i have like wised up <laughs> eventually after 20 years <laughs> like i got I, i'm still on an, an email list i'll not say the name there's ones that i have directly complained to and said like what are you doing because there was one that i got and I, I i posted on twitter about it but you couldn't even get into the magazine without like unpicking this glued on advert oh. for um i think it was an an advanced uh version of one of the Danone ones mm. um and it was like you couldn't get into the magazine that was supposedly about evidence-based uh CPD for nutrition professionals without like looking at this advert which actually had misleading information on it mm. so I, I think as nutrition professionals we're we're constantly bombarded with advertising absolutely for... and we just don't <laughs> realize it and I think we think we're kind of we think we're above it not above it but we, we think we're like impervious to it you know that like it doesn't affect our professional decisions um and obviously the research would suggest otherwise that you know yeah like it's very difficult to be completely unbiased so um i mean it's something i honestly really probably had never really thought about um before i before i started to do the lactation course um yeah. so and i think because because it comes from other colleagues it's you feel more um predisposed to it you know all of the, the people who would have come to talk to us uh previously when i worked before you know they were other dietitians um mm -hmm. you respected them and obviously that's why they do that <laughs> you know that's why they employ dietitians it's why they want to get like you know great speakers in and <laughs> like we had said at the beginning that like you know we're both in out of the way places um <laughs> we would not have access to a huge amount of training um or a huge amount yeah. of cpd opportunities um you know as they would maybe in london or even in dublin mm -hmm. um so a lot of the cpd that 
I would have done as a dietitian throughout my years would have been company sponsored. And it was actually only when I went to submit the paperwork for the IBCLC exam, you have to have 90 hours of lactation um, education. Um, so a lot of the courses that are CPD that I had done probably would have counted, but you can't count it if it's company sponsored. And it was only when I gathered it all together did I realize how much of it actually was company sponsored. Mm -hmm. um you know because i'm very much interested in the area of allergies so huge amount of the uh training is around allergies um and housework yeah. allergies understandably um because mm -hmm. of the specialized formula um so and yeah i think we just don't realize how influenced we are and i guess we take a lot of it at face value that this is research and it's a you know evidence-based um and maybe we don't look to see is it you know bias or is there bits of information kind of omitted or you know i think when people are working hard and they're just in their job they just take it at face value um, a lot of the time yeah and I, I mean i've moved very much like i suppose i've not i don't know i don't think i've ever taken part in any kind of sponsored cpd but generally you know when you see I'm, I'm quite attuned to it from having worked in and around um uh breastfeeding related support um but yeah, I, I look at it now because I'm trying to keep up my CPD and I will, I'll have a look. And sometimes it's really not obvious to at first glance that this free CPD is sponsored. No, because it's like another name. It's like, you know, yeah. whatever, allergy school or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. 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 And and I, so it's difficult because you, you you, you're you like, oh, I'm missing out on stuff. But I yeah, I just, I tend to just go and look at the papers and chat to people and, try and kind of do things of my own accord but yeah when you're in a rush and you want to kind of keep up to date with the the key information but I, I do I do wonder you know if you're yeah. like I worked in the community dietetic team so we were trying to keep up to date with you know everything from pediatrics to um, diabetes you know like a myriad of different conditions so you know you wouldn't have really had the luxury i suppose of going back to the original research or you know so yeah people were looking for the quickest way to keep up to date um and mm -hmm. yeah probably not really giving it a huge amount of thought i mean i think my ex-colleagues now are just they're probably shutting out my emails because every time i see something i send it on to them um so, <laughs> uh, so the first steps nutrition have a really good resource you know for dietitians on how you can comply with the who code on the marketing of breast milk substitutes so um yeah I'd say they're like oh here's another email from caroline telling us you know how we yeah. cannot uh cooperate with the the companies but yeah it's it's difficult yeah and i guess anybody who's a parent who's listened to this might be like what 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 are you on about and why is this an issue <laughs> um but i i think it, it is quite broadly an issue in relation to any kind of industry funded cpd is going to potentially color the messages to us promoting products or you know even subtly recommending things that are again buying into these nutrient-based messages that go out and the kind of products that come along with that exactly so, and parents deserve they deserve impartial advice obviously but i guess yeah um thinking from a from the point of view of any parents that are listening like feeding difficulties we know can cause a lot of distress for both children and families and mm -hmm. i know we're saying a lot here and I, I i i feel like i've been spending quite a lot of time on the podcast saying that relaxing about it all and finding ways to just have a fairly um you know focusing on the nutrition fundamentals but trying to have a positive feeding relationship is what's key but that i don't want to um trivialize any distress that people do have and there are certainly issues where it is important to seek help so i think as a pediatric dietitian it'd be useful to know for, from you like when it's important to seek help and and what what some of the things that pediatric dietitians can help with yeah um i think I mean, there are so many different uh, issues that parents can have. I think my bottom line would be if you're worried about anything, seek help. You know, even if it's not a diagnosed problem, like seek help. Because yeah. um, like I mentioned at the start, by the time that I see a lot of parents, they've actually been through months of trauma uh, yeah. when it yeah. comes to feeding. You know, they've tried this, they've tried that. Um, and sometimes they say at the end, oh, I wish I had like come to see you earlier, you know, um, mm -hmm. because I feel I wouldn't have had to, go through I've gone through all the other stuff um yeah, so yeah. I think if you're worried about something you know 
do seek help and obviously your first port of call is your public health nurse or your health visitor um, or mm-hmm. your GP but and even though they can give great advice it's not their area of specialism you know so mm-hmm. if you have a feeding problem um, then seek out specialist feeding advice and sometimes you know an hour spent kind of earlier on in the feeding problem like when it's just beginning will actually save you a lot of hassle further down the line so I think don't wait until it gets really bad and you've exhausted every avenue before you seek help from a pediatric dietitian um so try and get that help early because we can actually prevent a lot of problems you know and we can prevent a lot of stress so if you're worried that you know your baby isn't gaining weight like a lot of people worry about their baby not gaining enough weight or there's a misunderstanding about the growth centiles you know what it means if your baby maybe drops the centile so people are really worried about that then um but a a quick chat like with a pediatric dietitian whether that's somebody you can access publicly here in ireland you can access um dietitians through your gp or through your public health nurse in the public system just free of charge um or whether that's somebody that you pay privately you know that can actually set your mind at ease and it can save you from going down a road that you maybe just don't need to go down at all so um if you're worried yeah about growth if you're worried about reflux we can help you know um we can obviously i can help with the breastfeeding or a CL lactation consultant or a pediatric dietitian who has experience in helping parents with breastfeeding you know they don't necessarily need to be a lactation consultant um you know if you're thinking i wonder does my baby have a milk allergy or i wonder is my baby allergic to the milk that they're drinking like seek advice from a dietitian um that is our area of expertise um and we can tease that out with you you don't have to have a diagnosis of that before you come to see us um because with a lot of those allergies we can actually help you work through the diagnosis for that um so definitely come see a dietitian about that but i think as dietitians we we know what our limitations are as well so um if it's a problem during weaning and you know something to do with generally kind of how to set up meal times or what to feed obviously dietitian can help with that if it's something around chewing or swallowing that might be you know for a speech therapist or it could be for an ot but i guess because we obviously our work as part of multidisciplinary teams as well or have knowledge of those other professionals we know like when to refer on as well um when you might need other support um so i'm always conscious of that around the you know we talked at the beginning about the picky eating and the fussy eating um i know where i can help parents and i know where i can't help them um Mm. and when they need this like more even more advanced support that i can offer you know maybe where they need the support of a multidisciplinary team to help their child to move like forward with eating so um but yes, I think that's obviously why it's important to talk to a health, health professional um, as opposed to maybe trying to go it alone or, or trying to maybe always get support online or, you know, um, and yeah. that's fine too, but you, you need evidence-based advice as well. I mean, I wouldn't advise any parent and I often do Q&As on my Instagram and I would always say to parents, I, if that is a, an individual question, I would have to assess your baby before I can give yeah you know nobody can answer a feeding problem over facebook or or over instagram you need to sit down together and talk about the history and go through all of the information and then work out together what the problem might be and if there is one and how to solve it you know it's not something that can be done in a quick a quick post um Mm -hmm, so i think mm -hmm. it's really important yeah seek advice seek it early um and yeah ask the right person um so cool yeah 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 i think um yeah there's a lot there because i know i know we could have just sat and spoke about different feeding issues for an hour or two hours or longer um but actually every every parent and baby kind of dyad is different um there's you know a lot of things to to chat about in terms of what's going on for the for the mum or for the family as a whole um and what how that's you know even an issue which sounds like it might be the same for everyone like reflux it yeah. it's it can manifest in so many different ways so it, it does need that individual approach doesn't absolutely. it absolutely it's not a kind of a a b c d you know do this do this do this, do this. it's really like yeah. i mean so much of my consultations so i talk to parents generally for at least an hour and i mean the first 40 minutes sometimes are actually just you know what's happened so far you know yeah um and listening and 
you know, trying to understand like how they've come to this point and then maybe looking at what we can do together to work through it, you know, um, but so much of it is just listening. Because I know myself, I don't only give out general information and I, I don't currently do one-to-one work in nutrition at all, but if I did, and, and Laura and I talked about this in our episode, it's really important to have a network of other professionals around you that you can get support from and to get actually um, supervision from somebody who is more qualified than you so that you can talk about the, the issues that come up. So he knows everything no matter you know what uh-huh. your profession is uh yeah yeah and, yeah and sometimes you do need yeah definitely the support of other people and you, you need to know when your experiences when they need other experience as well um so yeah i think that's that's really really important um yeah and um yeah you so you've moved you moved from the health service and you're in private practice now mm-hmm. um and i know you've got a really um active profile on social media and you're really helpful and supportive there in a again in quite general way um but yeah i think there is this move um to have more nutrition professionals uh being there on social media doing online courses having facebook groups that kind of thing um why do you think there's a need for that um i mean i jump for joy every time i see kind of a new dietitian or a new nutritionist um on social media (laughs) um because there's because we're still completely outnumbered by the accounts from people who don't have any qualifications. Um, and obviously, and they're often the accounts who actually have the most, fo- have the biggest followings, you know, but it's, mm-hmm. it's really lovely now to see um, properly qualified registered nutritionists and registered dietitians having good followings online. And it's not all about numbers. Of course it isn't, but mm-hmm. um, you want to obviously reach as many people as you can with your message. Um, but mm-hmm. sometimes our messages more difficult because we tend to be I suppose like that like cautious um with giving mm-hmm. out one-to-one advice or we're you know very balanced and I think sometimes they're not the kind of soundbite messages that go viral you know um <laughs> like have a little bit of everything is not really kind of <laughs> like a really cool message to spread <laughs> um so our do what work you know I, people ask me all the time can you give me it should I maybe have lunch before or before their nap or after their nap and like so many times my question is do what works for you and your family you know mm-hmm. so you're giving kind of um yeah flexible advice but it, it's evidence-based um it can be hard to compete against people who have large followings but no qualifications uh, but who are very skilled at social media um and branding mm-hmm. and marketing and food photography and you know like genuinely it's it's hard to compete against that so um the more dietitians and nutritionists and other health professionals that are on social media the better because when we when we do well we all do well you know and we we spread our message of evidence-based advice and that's ultimately what is most beneficial for parents and i think it's important that we support each other and obviously don't view each other as competitors <laughs> um uh-huh. so that we try to support each other to to kind of spread that message there are more and more I mean there are a lot of very young dietitians and young nutritionists coming onto social media which is brilliant but I'd also love to see you know older dietitians and older nutritionists because they have a huge amount to offer as well in terms of um, experience we we don't I suppose have any training on it so um, that can be quite difficult um, (laughs) and especially if you're like obviously of a kind of you know slightly older generation uh, not a digital native um, it can be yeah, it's a real steep learning curve, I think, the whole social media. And... Oh, I think you're doing really well, though. Your content is brilliant. And I would definitely um, recommend anybody, especially parents, but also other professionals in this area to to follow you if they, are, if they aren't already. Oh. Um, so I'll just I'm going to ask you my, my last question, which I've been asking everybody. Um, and you might have a, a, a strong opinion on it, or you might not. Um, but, you know, if you were to think about changing, because I know you have worked in um, sort of public health nutrition, yeah. what, what changes would you like to see at a policy level that could kind of help people to eat well without stress? What policy changes? Oh, my goodness, that is a tough question. I mean, I... Or, or, or even what would, help, what would help the families that you're working with or what would help you in your day-to-day practice? Well, I think certainly for me, a big one would be um, around breastfeeding. You know, um, I think at a policy level, um, 
there's kind of a token nod to supporting breastfeeding at a policy level mm-hmm. and it's so poorly funded um mm-hmm. though even in terms of the number of you know it's almost an elitist activity breastfeeding if you um can't afford the support sometimes um it's difficult so i yeah supporting parents obviously with you know working legislation around that i mean there obviously is is some um and and around the marketing of strengthening the the legislation around the the marketing of the companies um yeah you know back to what we talked about earlier i think that Mm -hmm. would be really really helpful because as you know as you know working in public health obviously it, it a lot of these things aren't individual decisions there are yeah. people can only work within their environment and and you know this supportive environments that are that they live in so and not all of those environments are very supportive so um yeah i think definitely more more importance and a real commitment to supporting breastfeeding um because we know it makes sense from lots on lots of different levels yeah so just that that but very much that practical support yeah just i mean um, yeah on the ground you know like you know i think in our maternity hospital here in cork there's nine thousand births a year and there's like two lactation consultants yeah mm. so you know really putting their money where their mouth is i guess and you know actually doing more than putting up posters <laughs> Because every year the funding for breastfeeding is is reduced more and more. Yeah, it's interesting because it will be different in different countries as well. So, you know, the conversations that I was having, say, with Erin a few weeks back were very UK focused, very and particularly Scotland, where there has actually been an increase in funding. Okay. Um, where it'll be very different situation and even legislatively there's different rules around what the formula manufacturers are allowed to say and not say and do yeah um, so yeah, yeah. yes it's really interesting yeah, yeah. it's really interesting from an international perspective to see that in different countries and those things are really much needing still needing to be to be um pushed up the political agenda absolutely and we are you know still having to kind of form our actual government <laughs> um <laughs> on hold for like a couple of months so um, i know yeah, that's on the agenda yeah. for a lot of the groups you know um that yeah, does happen yeah. to try and get that in there and get some commitment um and more of a commitment than maybe was there before so yeah and it's always interesting to hear different perspectives and i think if we were to then also actually think about it on a global scale um there's other things that we would think about as well so no that's been really interesting thank you so much um i think there's hopefully some hopefully some really helpful information in there but also i think if i can signpost people to your um social media and you have a weaning course as well uh yeah so i just i launched an online weaning class it's self-paced so people can buy it and do it whenever they like so they can dip in and out it's kind of broken up into lots of little chunks of information um so yeah people can find that on my website or on my instagram solidstart.ie okay so i'll um i'll link to all of that um in the notes for the episode um so thank thank you so much really lovely lovely to speak to you You thank you so much for having me on it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening. Please give Caroline a follow on Instagram at solidstart.ie. I'll share her other contact details in the episode notes. If you found the conversation interesting, I would love it if you would consider subscribing, sharing or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts for me. I'm always happy to hear feedback or suggestions for future episodes. You can find me at saradempster.co.uk, on Instagram at saradempsternutrition or on Twitter at saradempster.com.